Continuing the conversation from the July episode of Conversations from the Leading Edge, Chuck Abassi shares more about his story, working on and behind the stage with police and community members to reduce tensions in this relationship and to break cycles of retaliatory violence in our communities. With AC4's Meredith Smith and Kim Wynn. So Chuck, you were talking about, you know, I'm just really curious about the insight process with the police. You know, how is this a reflective process for them? You know, what do they talk about? What are they engaged in? Mm. Um, well, I think for them, uh, a big takeaway is that it's, it serves as a platform for them to say things that they never get to say. For example, um, you know, when, when an officer says, you know, let me see your hands, and people just think, well, well, no, like, why don't you tell me what to do? You know, an officer w- would want people to understand that that is their training, and um, and there's something to be said about what you're trained to do and what when what protocol is, and and they're not just being a jerk. And so that's just one example. Um, and so, uh, you know, another example is just the dynamic of everything that they go through as people, as human beings. Um, and so I think whenever. Uh, every time we do a performance, that's something that police officers speak to. One, that's one of the first things they speak to, uh, the elements that people don't get to see because, you know, the, at, the, at the core of insight is gaining insights, you know, and, uh, and a lot of insights are things that you'd be surprised that, you know, people don't quite realize or acknowledge, you know, like that. Are they sort of asked to um, reflect on the biases that they enter that space with? Yes, yes, they are, and um, and I th- and to, you know to be honest, some things they they continue to be defensive about, um, you know, and and some things they really try to to rationalize or make people, you know, understand that there's a reason behind it, um, you know. Another example is, you know, one uh, one person was telling me, you know, I, I find it hard to apologize for things that I do, you know, which obviously <laughs> sounds horrible. Like, what do you mean? You know, you're not going to apologize. Like, obviously, if you do something wrong, you should apologize. And then what this person, for them, the fear of being seen as weak is so great that it makes it hard to apologize. It doesn't excuse that behavior but it can allow us to understand that this person isn't just intentionally trying to belittle you. This person is acting out of a place of, of fear for themselves. They're protecting themselves. Um, does that mean we need to do something about that? Well, yes, but it starts with the acknowledgement of that. And, you know, that's something that, you know, things like that, a lot of people say, oh, I've never said that out loud before. This is my first time saying that out loud. And so we need to try to pinpoint what is the source of someone's behavior that comes across as um, as mean. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's just one example. But in doing that, I think people, police officers in this case, uh, begin to own up to their actions that offend people. You know, uh, another one, you know, so there was a, we heard a particular complaint that people were making about cops who park in like the handicapped spot or like the fire lane and you know and and then cop uh one cop responds well you know 
even if I go into this donut shop, I'm still on duty. And if I get called to respond to like shot fired, I need to be as close to my car as possible. So the closest spot is the handicap lane. So I, so that's why I do that. And you know, people may respond, well, that's that's not a good enough reason for me. But at least we're hearing where they're coming from, or you know, at least there's a conversation there. And so, it you know, it doesn't always um, solve things, but it does take us a step further um, in the conversation, um, and it becomes less of an argument, uh, but more of a you know a, a process to really try to understand people and why people do things. You know, you're not always gonna have that you know happy moment, happy ending, but but yeah. Do the the cops also in the training? Do they um, talking about the biases like Kim mentioned? Is there explicit conversations talking about these sort of um, you know everybody has their own lenses of biases that we bring in, but there's some systemic issues of race and gender you know in a, in a position of authority that the cop has. Like, are those kinds of issues addressed explicitly in the insight training? Uh, sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Some officers aren't willing to go there, and some are. Um, you know, part of the, uh, the, the curriculum of insight training isn't, it isn't designed to, um, to really analyze these, uh, uh, those kinds of things, uh, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it just wouldn't make sense if we didn't acknowledge that that's part of the conflict narrative. Um, racism, particularly s- systemic racism, for example, and so there are people who are willing to acknowledge that uh, that that exists. And I guess maybe I don't know much about um, cop trainings and whether they already have like a you know racial profiling. I know is a a thing, right? And yeah. Yeah. But whether I think it's different to go through a academic training when you're told this is racial profiling and Mm -hmm. we all do it and versus like this practical experience that happens probably through through the training or the activities that you all it sounds like do in the training Mm -hmm. and also a reflective process where you sort of take a pause and really look at the behaviors that you naturally have a tendency to do without really recognizing that you know, consciously recognizing that those are steps and actions taken mm-hmm. that sort of, you know, escalate the situation. Yeah, and I and I think um, and I think there's uh, we have moments of of that acknowledgement of personal tendencies. Yeah, um, yeah uh, one cop, uh, uh, a st- one actor was telling us, you know, and in, this actually wasn't part of the. This wasn't part of the process of creating the play, but it was um, a product of an actor um, communicating with a police officer while being involved in this play. Um, you know, asking an officer about how uh, how they perceive people when they stop people, and and the officer, you know, saying something along the lines of, you know, to be honest, if I see this person here. This was someone in the classroom who had dreadlocks, you know. I don't know when dreadlocks became like a sign a threat. Of, 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 of a threat, but it apparently it was for this person. Oh, if this person, if I see this person here with dreadlocks and, you know, and jeans and their pants sagging and a white T-shirt, I'm more likely to stop them than I am to stop you 
whose pants are not sagging, who um, has more of a clean-cut look. And, you know, this was an officer who was very honestly saying that. Mm. Um, and that's really raw in that moment. That's vulnerable for him to actually admit it. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah, and some cops are willing to go there. Some aren't. Mm. Um, you know, it's, um, and I think that's, that's, that'll be an ongoing journey to, to really dig into that. And um, and while we haven't, while um, you know, racism uh, is part of the narrative that we explore, um, we haven't yet developed, um, you know, a way to more intentionally, directly target just that. Mm-hmm. Now, could we in the future create an insight piece or an insight project around racism? Yes. And do we want to do that? Yes. And our community police relations part of that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that we would love to do. Um, but we do, we do try to uh, have that as part of the overall um, issue. Um, and so, and you know, just to speak to the nuances of each community, in, in Memphis where uh, most of the police department is is black. Racism still exists, but it's it's not a black versus white thing. It's more perceived as a systemic thing, you know. You know, it doesn't matter who you are as a cop. If he sees someone who's black, your your mind is going somewhere. Um, and so that became part of the narrative, and that's actually part of the play. You know, that's that's addressed in the play, um, in a in a scene. But yeah. Um, and it's something that's brought up in the facilitated dialogue. Um, but I think it is important to uh, continue to have that conversation and ultimately get more intentional about addressing it. And those um, facilitated dialogues, they sound so fascinating. I would love to listen in on that. Um, but did you find that, you know, I, again, we don't want to say sides, but did you find that the sides um, sort of were more receptive to the other? after watching the play or engaging yeah. in dialogue? Yeah, um, not always, but yes, often. Um, you know, there were times where, you know, it, it didn't quite go that way, to be honest. You know, uh, when we went to Cleveland, we went there, Just it just so happened that we went there right around, like the day after we got there, it was Tamir Rice's birthday. And so, you know, people were in a, in a, in a place in their head. And, and so I remember the first performance we had there, you know, the, the audience was livid, you know, and they were like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm trying, I'm like facilitating this dialogue talking about, so what did you see on stage? I don't want to talk about what I saw on stage. I want to talk about Tamir Rice, or I want to talk about this community, what's happening here in Cleveland. Someone says, I want to talk about why I don't see any officers in this audience right now. Uh. You know, and then afterwards, somebody, some guy comes up and he goes, well, I'm, I'm actually a cop, but there was no way I was going to out myself. Oh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, you know, because, you know, people, it, it depends on where you are, you know, and sometimes people are angry, yeah. you know, and they should be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and sometimes we're able to to have a, a good conversation and, and then sometimes we're able to have a conversation, but it, you know, it may not change a whole lot. And so, you know, it's, and it just, and just to, uh, to say again that uh, a lot of what we hope for isn't um, a huge, like, clear thing. A lot of it we hope for is, like, you know, maybe subtle shifts in, in ways we think, you know, via authentic insights that, 
you know, may manifest in ways that we can't even imagine, you know, just having this conversation right now. You know, that's that's my ideal hope. You know, and sometimes it's it's a lot more clear, you know. You know, a kid would say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I, it's been hard for me to see a police as anything other than a police. And then seeing this play, you know, the, the main character who's a cop, you know, his, his wife is like five months pregnant. And, uh, you know, their relationship is failing because of all the time he's putting into his job, you know, and that's affecting him. You know, and for a kid to say, I never imagined that they a cop could have some other stuff to deal with outside of the stuff they're dealing with on the streets. You know, that's a real, although it may seem crazy, but that's a real acknowledgement. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, thinking yeah. about the story of the the narrative that goes in the play as uh-huh. you as a, as a playwright, was it very different the story that was on the stage in Memphis versus? Um, Montclair and oh yeah, very different. Um, you know, y- when you when you're having a conversation, you're taking in the community, you find different nuances. Um, you know, something about Memphis is a lot of the officers there actually live in the community that they police. You know, you don't really get that in a lot of places. Um, Montclair is kind of half and half. Um, also, the racial um, breakdown. Uh, Memphis, most of the cops are black. Not so in in Montclair. And it's just a different vibe. The town just has a different vibe. It's uh, Montclair. You know, when you ask anybody you know who lives there or whatever, it, it just comes across as this really nice place that's racially diverse, and they have great food and great art, and and you know, there's this lovely high school that everyone goes to. Like that's this that's like the the outer narrative that you often hear. And then, but you have to you start to wonder. Well, there's got to be more to it, you know. And so, so that was kind of like the the big thing for me mm. uh, there. It wasn't the same thing in Memphis. It was a it was a different general takeaway. And this is me talking from my own experience. Someone else probably, I'm sure, um, had a different general major takeaway um, coming into Montclair. Um, but you know, and and so the uh, a lot of what we're hearing there is that although it's very diverse, it's diverse but still kind of divided. You know, people still don't want to go into this neighborhood, you know, that's known as the neighborhood where the police are often getting called. There's there's that. Um, and so uh, as much as it was a, a police community initiative, it was a community community initiative, more so than it was in Memphis. Um, so, yeah, and so we, I really do feel that every place we go to, would have a, it would have a different shape. Um, it seems like the story itself like was one more difficult than the other to think of you know in terms of wanting to have a story that would give the audience who might be on you know, not to call it sides but on either side and wanting to give a, a story that can allow for you know I think um, engagement from the community where they can relate to the story like you're saying you know I mean you must have done it in a way that was successful if this boy that had uh, that you mentioned who had said he had a troubled relationship with cops and never imagined the cop you know his home life and um, is, was it more difficult in one than the other to find that story that would you know kind of open up um, the people in the audience wherever they're coming from to have empathy and see the people in the story um, I would say on a, in a general way it's harder to it's harder to get police officers to elaborate 
on how they're affected um, by seeing it. Uh, and I would say that's across the board. And, um, and I would <laughs> hypothesize that it, it comes from, uh, you know, the police culture of, um, of how they, you know, they feel they have to present themselves. Um, that being said, um, personally speaking, as a perceptive person, um, and a receptive person, there's definitely a tangible, there's definitely a tangible uh, impact that I can see in police officers um, who take part in this project. Um, but yeah, but you, you just won't always hear it. Uh, you know, that's, that's uh, another reality. So I had seen um, your, I think the f one of the films for Uniform Justice. Yeah. And um, some of the scenes looked like the police were actually engaging with civilians in the insight conversations, and I was kind of wondering, does that happen? Is there, you know, is mm -hmm. there that component to the training as well, or uh, at least another time where the police officers are engaging in insight conversations with community members? Um, yeah, and that I. I think that was the Montclair okay. one that you were watching, yeah. And so that was that was kind of an evolutionary step from the Memphis one, mm -hmm. where we got people, uh, you know, the that was that was a police training where the original training in Memphis it was just these two facilitators leading it. This time we decided to get five um, five actors who would come and be a part of the training, and. Um, and the initial the initial purpose of it was to have them you know try to role play scenarios, but it actually ended up being, you know, having these officers have insight conversations as you saw with these people, with these people, and vice versa, um, and that became part of the police training. And so, you know, what would happen the next time we do a police training? How could we build on that? I don't know, but but I love that that happened mm -hmm. yeah. and that's something that I would want to see more of um, in future iterations of this process for sure me too I was so curious yeah, 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 about yeah, what yeah. they were telling yeah. each other <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was part of it I was part mm -hmm. of it. it it was cool I mean um, <laughs> we would uh, you know so there was lots of different things we did um, and uh, some of it was creating scenarios and seeing how they wanted to respond to it um, there were you know we were acting out situations that would likely happen in one neighborhood over another. Oh, you're responding to this house call um, in Upper Montclair to, uh, and this guest is like, you know, has a lot of like big names in their house, and 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 they feel like you shouldn't be there. How would you respond to that? And 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 so an officer would try to role play that, and then after mm. the role play, then we would have sit down conversations about it. Um, wow. Or we would have, yeah. you know. You know, we would just give people uh, situations where it wouldn't even be about policing, but just about, you know, general things. So tell me about a time recently where you had uh, where you had an issue and that you tried to handle it in an insightful way. And so this cop is, is having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a, a civilian, if you will, and, and he says, yeah, you know, um, after the first round of training, I was sitting down with one of my friends in a bar, and he was telling me about some issue he was having with 
think it was like his girlfriend or something like that and he said oh and I tried to ask like some insight questions you know I said something like along the lines of so what makes you think this is going to happen if you do this <laughs> that's like like an insight kind of question and 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 he was like it felt really weird <laughs> you know but I can see that the kind of answer I was getting isn't the kind of response I would normally get in my normal line of questioning in a casual conversation and so to to start from this mundane kind of place and then to slowly apply it to you know police community interactions that was kind of our um our method in in this round of it but you know but it'll probably be different next time and it was Mm -hmm. certainly different the first time in memphis (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah definitely yeah. Um, so one one question I'd love to ask is like whether you think it would be where it would be the most challenging perhaps to do this like what if you went into a you know area I don't know where you were in Memphis you know when mm-hmm. we have when you're trying to decide which part of the city for example to partner with or which mm-hmm. theater group to work with um, I guess it's two different kind of variables I was thinking of is whether you ever thought about working with untrained actors like kind of the civilians that were maybe mm-hmm. either a targeted civilian group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other s- qu- part was like maybe going to a community like in Watts, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, kind of crime-ridden part of L.A., if you will. Or yeah. And so um, so I would – in oh, with Memphis, we went to – I mean, the base was, you know, Hadaloo Theater and – and we reached out to people in different communities in Memphis. And then the same thing in, in Montclair, um, we created a base and we got actors from different places and then we had conversations with people in different areas. But And some, uh, and some experiences were more intense than others or um, uh, the, the stories we got were, you know, more emotional than others and um, you know and that's that's something to expect you know and how to I mean it's it's a hard question about figuring out uh, what's the best place to to go or Mm -hmm. who are the best people to recruit to do it Um, you know I will say that we had a mix of of actors of uh, as far as levels of professionalism of of the profession in in Montclair, some of them were high school students, some were college students, some were just members of, a, of the church congregation, and and some were actors who had um, survival jobs and things like that. Uh, none of them were equity, and so um, you know, in with with uh, it was somewhat like that in Memphis, but they were all part of this company at least. And then when I did. I've done Uniform Justice with a New York cast, um, all professional actors, um, and and I, I, I guess what's uh, my bigger concern with who to work with is I would like for them ideally to be local people, um, to excuse me, <coughs> to be local people that are um, that are able to contribute to the conversation personally from personal experience as well as uh, through gathering stories. And um, 
And I hope I'm answering your question yeah. in, 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 in my rambling. Uh, <laughs> well, they're kind of um, just thoughts after, yeah, yeah. you know, thinking about how powerful this is and just mm-hmm. wondering whether it would work and, you know, whether yeah. there's certain contexts in which it does work. And, yeah. Well, yeah, well, I'll tell you this. Um, if we ever pull this off here in New York City, I think that's going to be quite a beast to, yeah. to do, um, you know, uh, I've I've spoken to a lot of people already, and uh, you know it's a very polarized place. You know here, you know it, it may not even be you know um, generally. I mean, New York is a is a relatively safe city, but but it's also a place where it's been at the center of, of in a lot of ways. It's been at the center of this conversation. You know, when we think about Eric Garner and the people before Eric Garner. You know, uh, think about Sean Bell, um, you know, or uh, Amadou Diallo. You know, I'm, I'm going way back even. Yeah. And um, so there's a long history of, of mistrust and, and uh, you know, and feelings, very, uh, very strong feelings of of anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, injustice. And, yeah, injustice. Yeah. And so, you know, not to say that th- th- it wasn't the case in these other places we went to, but... But this is a this is just a high profile place, you know. Mm-hmm. And in dealing with the police department, that's also going to be tough, um, you know. In New York City, in particular, you know, they've been through a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have their internal issues, mm-hmm. you know. You know, they had their beef with De Blasio, you know, turning their back on him at funerals and all that. And so it's it's a whole nother beast <laughs> that it would be. <laughs> that I would love to do, but it would be hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I hope you do too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, working on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think every whatever wherever we go, it will present its own challenges, and and um, you know, we just have to be able to adapt to it. And, Definitely. Uh, you know, and I'm and I'm always up for that. Sure. I really love that about the project. I love that it's not, you know, one story that you've taken to many places, but mm-hmm. that it incorporates a little bits from each place that makes it really special. And yeah, 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 it's important to do that. Um, you know, it's we I, as much as we can, we want to to validate what's actually happening at a specific place. Um, and time and so you know the best way to do that is to just really pay attention actively listen and and put that back that exactly you know so mm-hmm. you know uniform justice while it could be seen and enjoyed and and in fact have an impact anywhere it's not a New York story it's a Memphis story you know same with Dremont Church Street and Montclair New Jersey so I think, you know, these communities could be proud to say that they have created a piece um, that's about them um, exclusively, but is also universal at the same time. Mm-hmm. One thing that you mentioned before was about this changing of language around crime to conflict, yeah. or seeing the source of a crime as conflict, mm-hmm. and just the awareness of, of that. I'm wondering, you know, so instead of me calling Watts a crime-ridden place, would you, do you think <laughs> there, could, there would be a shift if it was like a conflict-ridden place? Um, well, you know what, I think, I think crime-ridden is, is, is a good way to put it because, you know, conflict happens everywhere, mm, you mm. know, but 
conflict doesn't escalate the way it does every the same way everywhere. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, some places, you know, it escalates further and why? You know, why does it escalate this that's a very hard question to answer. You know, the you can look at economics, you know, um, you can look at again, racism, you know, opportunity. Um, you know, you can look at cycles. Um, you know, and some of the things people may, and and that's the thing. Some of the things that we may, may look at, it's like, no, we're we're not looking deep enough. Oh, gangs? No, we got to dig deeper than that. Why were gangs formed to begin with? You know, how about why they were formed? How about the fact that people need to protect each other? Um, how about the fact that you know there's this uh, feeling of despair around finding work, or you know, or this feeling of 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 danger because there are so many guns in my community. And so we're trying to form something to respond to that. And then that escalates into this. And then all of a sudden they're doing the same thing. And so now we're warring with each other because we were here first. And now all of a sudden, oh, boom, gang violence. But, you know, what about the conflict that created the gangs? And yeah. so I so appreciate mm-hmm. you, you, your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys. I think that we almost filled up the CD. So we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think cool. we easily keep going, but we won't. But I really liked your perspective of sort of like asking the deeper questions I think is really key here. And I think it would be so incredible for people to walk into that stage and walk away seeing that it's not just police against community, that it's so much larger than that. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like that might release some tension in the moment mm-hmm. yeah. of trying to blame, quote unquote, the other side. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like, where is it really rooted? Yeah. That, and I think that's so important. Uh, you know, I think it becomes it becomes so like liberating when you stop seeing it as me versus you, you know, but you know, we're all part of the same, the same community. And so it's, you know, that really just changes it. It's like, OK. You know, we're supposed to figure this out. You know, we're not two sides of a a war.